Today's reading is Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, Amma's son, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. People will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, Come, let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Zion, the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations. They will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk by the Lord's light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ellen, for that reading. I'd like to pray, and then we will get into the text this morning. So would you pray with me? God, you are the one who is with us. You are the one who has been faithful, the one who moves toward us, the one who is near. God, I ask that we this morning would be people who are open to your nearness, open to your closeness, that we would remember that we are an Advent people. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our first week of Advent, and the theme is that God is actually with us. But you should know a little bit behind the scenes, because the working title in the office has been, God is with us, but like, for real though. Um, because, and that, but that's a lot to put on the slide, that just doesn't work. So God is actually with us. But the whole idea and why that's how we've been talking about Advent is because it's easy around this time to say that God is with us. Advent means arrival, and it is a time of the church calendar that we enter into anticipating the coming arrival of Jesus, something that has already happened and something that will happen again, and that we are people who anticipate this arrival of Jesus knowing that God has come to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but like for real though. That phrase, that truth, that statement is something I want you to sit with for just a moment, and I'm going to stop talking, and I want you to consider that statement that God is with us, that God is with us, God is with you, God is with you in your frustration, with you in your joy, with you in the argument that you had on the way here with whomever, part of your family, with you in your stress or your anxiety, with you in your, in your anticipation for what this week holds and the excitement. God is with you. God is with us. So take a moment to consider where you are and then consider God being with you in that.
So what came to mind? What came to mind regarding your life and where you are? And do you find it surprising that God is with you even in that mundane or boring, perhaps, reality? Or in that chaotic, disoriented reality? See, in Advent, what we proclaim as God's people is that God is one who arrives, has arrived, and will arrive again. And this means, and these are the four things we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, is that we are a people who can be marked by hope, who can be marked by love, who can be marked by joy, and who can be marked by peace. That because God is actually with us, we can be people of hope, of love, of joy, and peace. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Advent hope, because Advent, the arrival of Jesus, points us to the fact that God is a God who makes promises. Consider this from Fleming Rutledge, a pastor, a preacher, a remarkable woman who's talked a lot about Advent. She says this, promise is a key concept of understanding Advent, and we're all familiar with broken promises. Indeed, it sometimes seems that broken promises are the only promises there are. This is a sign of the old age. The gospel announces the promise of God, which has an entirely different character from human promises because it is anchored in the very nature of the righteous God with whom all things are possible. Therefore, the defining characteristic of the Christian community along with faith and love, is hope. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Advent hope. And if you'd like, you can turn in the Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. And we're going to look at only the five, first five verses of Isaiah 2. While you're turning there, just an, a, a reminder of, of what these prophetic texts are, these texts written by the prophets of Israel, are texts that are written to a particular community in a particular time and place, but they take on different dimensions over time, and especially for the Christian community. But the book of Isaiah was written to Israel as they were finding themselves in exile for their rebellion against God, and so therefore these words become words of both judgment and reality of this is why you are, or this is why you are where you are, and this is why what is happening to you is happening, but they're also texts of promise, of longing, and even of good news. And so as we think about these words from Isaiah 2, these are words spoken to a people who find themselves perhaps distant from God, away from God, not near perhaps God and what they remember to be their time in life when it was fruitful and remarkable. And yet what Isaiah does here is he speaks a word of hope into this exilic situation, and then we're going to look at how these become words of hope for us, the Christian community. But first, Isaiah 2, starting in verse 2, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So first, this, this word of hope is a word of God's presence. 
It's speaking of Zion. It's speaking of the place where God's temple was, the place where God's presence existed. It's this place where God's reality and the earthly reality intersected together. And it's speaking of this time when it will be raised up, that it will be seen for what it is, and that people will come and stream to it from all over. People will say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, verse 3, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So not only is it speaking this word of hope of God's presence being something that the people, all people, want to see, experience, and know, but it speaks also of God's teaching. That God's teaching will be one in which people want to receive and learn from. Again, the end of verse 3, For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then in verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So it speaks of God's presence, speaking of the temple as something that is acknowledged for the amazing reality it is, speaking of God's instruction, the law, the Torah, as being the thing that, that begins to shape and form people of all nations. And then it speaks of God's judgment, God's righteousness, arbitrating, making things right, actually bringing upon the world a type of justice that begins to disarm the world, that there is no need for weapons, and instead people will break down their weapons into fine material in which they can create things that begin to nurture and nourish the ground and to restore and to renew. So this hopeful vision spoken to a people who seem distant or who are distant, who are far perhaps from God's temple, from God's presence, they might feel far and they're, they're in this place where God's teaching is not a reality and certainly in a place when it seems like injustice rules the day. This becomes a word of hope. And the good news for us as an Advent people is that we declare that because God has come to us in Jesus that we begin to taste the first fruits of this hope. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is that we have a hope-saturated future, that we can have a hope-informed presence, and that we then are a hope-holding community. So those are the three things we're going to talk about this morning. A hope-saturated future, a hope-informed present, and a hope-holding community. So first, what do I mean by a hope-saturated future? Well, like the people of Israel, given this word of hope in this time when it seemed very hopeless, because God has come to us in Jesus, because the arrival of Jesus has come, and this is the season in which we are celebrating that arrival, the birth of Christ, we know that we have a future that is saturated with hope. A future that speaks to a time 
when things are made new. We talk about this at Grace all the time, and though it might go over your head in the sense of, well, we've heard this before, no, the reason we keep saying it is because it is possibly the best news in the world, is that God will make his home on earth and that all things will be made new and that God himself will wipe away every tear and death itself will die. That is a hope-saturated future. Israel was given a hope-saturated future when people would want to be in the presence of God, when people would want the instruction of the Lord, and would people would be under the judgment, the righteous judgment of God, which brings about justice. But we, as an Advent community, post the arrival of Jesus, say this has begun. This has begun because in Jesus, we know that God has come to us in Jesus. The presence of God is among us. God is with us, but like for real though. We say that because God has come to us in Jesus, we actually have the instruction and the law that Jesus Christ himself fulfills. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We have God's teaching in the person of Jesus, who remains with us, continuing to instruct us. The judgment and justice of God has begun through Jesus on the cross and resurrection, where God begins to reveal the truth about the world and its continual bent toward destruction and violence. But in the person of Jesus, God moves to disarm us, to take on the violence, to reveal it for what it is, a power struggle that will only produce more and more violence, and destruction. We have a hope-saturated future, and we have a future that is promised to us and one we can trust because God himself has already come in Jesus. And this hope-saturated future then informs our present, so we have a hope-informed present I mean, listen to the words of Isaiah. So it begins this future hope. It begins to speak about this. Then in verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. See, when we have a future hope, it is to inform the reality in which we live now. So it means that we can live in the present, moving, living, leaning toward that future. A future that's clearly always provisional. It comes in bits and pieces, and we are not tasked to create the kingdom. That is something that we cannot do, but we can lean into the kingdom. We can begin the processes of breaking down our weapons in order to create tools for new creation, for renewal, for nourishment. Instead of killing we have the opportunity to forgive. Instead of destroying, we have the opportunity to build. 
These are the things that we have the opportunity to do because God is with us, but like for real though. So we have a hope-informed present, and so our present lives are to be lives marked and shaped by that hope-saturated future. Because God has come, we know and trust that he will come again, and it means the lives that we live now matter. They matter, and we are not alone. We are both in this together, but more importantly, we are in it with God, or rather, God is in it with us. That is the good news of Advent. Amen? And so because we have a hope-saturated future that then allows us to have a hope-informed present, it makes it possible for us to be a hope-holding community. It's often easy when we're reading Scripture to forget that these words, all of them, were written to a people. Not to a person, but to a people. These words of hope written by Isaiah were written to a community. And it's a community because of Jesus that we have then been grafted into. And so they become words of hope for us. That the story continues. And then the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And as it continues throughout the story, it becomes a story for a people. For a community. And why is it good news that this vision of hope, this arrival of Jesus is for a community. Why is that good news? Because we can't hold on to it alone. It is absolutely impossible. There are times, and I'm sure that if, you were, if I was to sit down with each and every one of you, if you were to sit down with each other, you would hear there were times when you forgot about the hope that you have. It matters that these words, that this hope-saturated future and this hope-informed present is for a people is because it means we have a hope-saturated future. We have a hope-informed present, and therefore we are a hope-holding community. I need you to hold hope for me. You do not know how true of a statement that actually is. I need you to hold hope for me, and you need one another to hold hope for you. And the good news of this is that we also hold together hope for the world. Because we are an Advent people, because we are a people who anticipate the arrival of Jesus, because he's come and he will come again fully one day, we have the good news that God is not done with us. See, Advent, the hope of Advent tells us that God is not done with us. God has come. He has moved toward us. He wants to be near you and me. He wants to be near that which he's created. And he wants to renew and restore, and he has begun that in the person of Jesus, reforming, reshaping, refashioning hearts. And he will continue to do that through his spirit, in his people, until all things are made new. So we can hold hope for the world. And trust me, the world needs its hope held. 
The world needs its hope held. And that becomes part of our vocation. How crazy is that? How insane is that? Is that that's some of the work we've been given to do? To hold hope for one another and then as a community to hold hope for the world. And man, how easy it is to despair. I wish that was not true. But it's far more true than I wish it was. It is so easy to despair. And that is why we need one another. And we live in a world that finds itself despairing quite often in an unimaginative way. But we, as an Advent people marked by hope, have the opportunity to show a different way, to speak the truth, that God's presence is with us. He's here. That God's teaching is the best way. That God is the righteous judge who brings about justice in the ways that we actually need it. Now a visual that speaks to this, to this sense of God not being done with us, of God wanting to continue to shape us and what makes it possible for us to hold hope for one another is this ancient Japanese art form called kintsugi. Now this ancient art form Kintsugi is an art form that was developed as a way to actually restore broken pieces of pottery, of ceramic, in order to be used again. And the way that these broken pieces would be restored and mended together is by this lacquer mixed with gold or powdered with gold and then it would be used to bring these, these pieces that were once whole and then broken back together again. The word kin means gold and sugi means to mend. And so this art form kintsugi is to mend with gold. Now the thing about this art form actually is that these shards of, of, of different items that have been used, they aren't put together right away. They're actually held. They're considered over a long period of time. They're actually passed on over different generations until finally it seemed fit that, oh, these pieces can be brought together in this way. And what's remarkable is that once they're together and mended with the, this gold, they're far more valuable than they once were when they were originally made. Now, a Christian Japanese artist named Makoto Fujimura talks a lot about this idea of kintsugi. And he uses it as a metaphor for what the Christian community can be. Or in fact, what it already is. Broken shards. Seen as valuable. By the artist, God. And then put back together in a way that makes it actually far more beautiful than it once was. See, to be people marked by Advent, the hope that we have is that in the shards of our lives, in the broken pieces of our lives, that the God who is with us in Jesus wants to mend us in such a way that our brokenness actually becomes part of the story. 
Now, Makoto Fujimura, speaking to a group of people, to this current generation, to us, says this, you are a kintsugi generation. Your generation will mend and pour gold into the fissures of our broken times. And you can not only mend, you can create anew, create a world in which an invitation will be given to those who are broken, those who mourn, those who are persecuted, and those who are poor in spirit will be offered a great light. Your lives can be an offering of peace in a divided time, a gesture of hope for those in despair. Your sacrifice will be an aroma of the new. So go mint. Be the kintsugi masters of your generation, of your own disciplines, in the workplaces and in your homes. Pour gold into the fissures of this world. I mean, that image is really powerful that we as a community are a kintsugi community, a community who find ourselves broken often. Broken pieces that seem like to the naked eye have no value. But our Advent hope is that the God who comes to us says, no, 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 I am not done with you. I am going to put you back together. I'm going to mend you through my presence, through my teaching, through my good and righteous judgment through the work of the cross and resurrection, I will mend you in such a way that your life, even in its brokenness, will begin to tell a story of remarkable healing and restoration. What's really beautiful about these pieces of art is that you can see they were once broken. But it's in those paths and grooves and moments and stories and mistakes and those despairs or the, those who wronged you or that trauma. In those moments, God begins to tell a story of mending and of healing where something that was broken is made whole again and presented and seen as wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And that is the Advent hope that we have, that God is not done with us, came to us in Jesus Christ, giving us a hope-saturated future, which means we can have a hope-informed present and we can be a hope holding community because, my friends, we are an Advent people. The arrival of Jesus has come and will one day come again. And in the meantime, in between the times, may we be a Kintsugi generation. A Kintsugi generation who beholds the wonder of other people's stories and scars and sees within them the faithfulness, the love, the presence of Jesus himself. I mean, thanks be to God that that is the God that we worship. That is the God who is with us, but like for real though.